0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Crosspoint Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. There's an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond <clears throat> where he's trying to make sense of this monthly problem of PMS that Deborah has. So he goes to the drugstore and he buys a bunch of things and gets some books and some medications and some other things and brings them back home to her. And, and that really doesn't help anything. just kind of sets her off. And so this continues to escalate over a period of two or three days. And and she's, you know, ready to pull her hair out. And he finally just gets to the point of, what can I do? What can I do? What am I supposed to do? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And as I've seen that episode, I, it, this image draws back in my mind over and over again of how, how probably that, how often that probably occurs, whether it's whether it's man or woman. it Doesn't have to be about PMS. It can be about many things. But whether whether it's husband or wife, of how many times that occurs in a in a home, uh, in the life of that home. What am I supposed to do? Will somebody just tell me what I'm supposed to do to to, to, to please everybody and get get everybody back to where they're supposed to be and to where life is uh, fruitful again here in our home and. Um, as I shared with you in, in this past week's e-news also, um, I think from global terms we do a good job in churches of lo- laying out principles and saying, boy, here's what's important for families. Here's what's important for our culture. Here's what's important for homes, for husbands, for dads, for wives, for moms. In principle and in theory, but in practice, sometimes we don't do a very good job at saying here's what that looks like day to day. And so tonight, that's where we're going to go with this um, and I, I titled this for lack of something else. Would somebody just tell us what we're supposed to do? And I hope you'll see some detail tonight to help fill in the cracks of, of, of maybe some principles that we've sewed in for the last couple, two, or three weeks. And I hope tonight's action points basically will give you some teeth to say, okay, this is what, what my life is supposed to look like as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother. Um, and, and so we're going to be, this is going to feel like Bible drill tonight because we're going to be all over the scripture. So if you will, first of all, I'll turn to... Um, to 1st Timothy chapter 5 and we're going to look at some verses uh, and if you want to hold your hold your finger in 1st Timothy we're going to come back there um, a little bit later with some other verses but we'll start here in chapter 5, 1st Timothy and we're, we're going to begin um, begin with us men and, <clears throat> and then we'll get to the ladies in just a minute. Three weeks ago, if you'll recall, we looked at in Genesis and looked at Ephesians and paralleled these two scriptures to come up with the fact of our global roles, basically as men and women, our global roles as men are, and Ephesians is, speaks of this specifically, is to lead and to love. Leader-lover is our role as men. Well, what does that look like in a practical sense, in a day-to-day sense? Well, first of all, I think that speaks to a man who should provide for his family. Now, let's read together this uh, this verse in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let's look at verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So as a provider, if he doesn't provide for his family, and he says especially your immediate family, if you, can, if you, can, if you have the wherewithal to provide for extended family, great. But as far as your immediate family, if you don't provide for your immediate family, you, are, uh, denied, you have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever, he says. Pretty stark terms for you and I as men. And that's specifically what he's what he's speaking to there. Paul's speaking to young Timothy about leadership and about, in part, uh, 1 Timothy's about eldership, but in part it's just about leadership, period. And he's saying this role of a man is to provide for his family. Primarily, there are other ways of provision. We'll look at those. Primarily, I think what he means here is, is physical provision or, in essence, financially providing for your family. Now, what does that look like for, for most men? Well, I would submit to you there's four things we're going to look at, and they're not, they're not blanks or anything to write in on your handout, but you can jot them down in the margins if you want. It's our job as men to create a financial climate in our home where these four things occur. First of all, we're values, a home that values work. And we are in a, in a culture that's growing generation after generation to devalue work. What do I mean by that? Work anymore has become a means to an end a means to a financial end so that I can have the money to pay my bills, I pay my bills to keep the creditors away, or to buy this car, to, <clears throat> to make this house payment, to whatever, to pay off these credit cards. The money is, or the, or the job is a means to an end. There's more to that, that Scripture points to. In fact, when we studied Ephesians several months ago, we looked at this fact that each one of us has a call from God. Now, whether we recognize that call, whether we're in that call, whether we're moving in that direction or not, each of us have a call from God. And I think that's in part the provider's job, is to sow, to, to create a culture, to create, to create a climate in his home where he sows in to his wife and his children those things, even beyond his home to his friends, to where he sows in those things that, first of all, value work. And beyond just the fact that it's a means to a financial end that it pays my bills, am I finding and, and, and sensing and pursuing God's call for my life? Now, it doesn't matter what, what, what you do, if you make widgets or you... You work at TVA or you teach or doesn't matter what you do. Are you there because you feel like God has placed you there? Are you there because you feel like God has opened that door and has gifted you uniquely to be that person for that place and that time? Each of us have or should have a sense of call from God. It's our job as husbands and especially as fathers to sow these kinds of things into our kids to say, are you there? Is this just a job to you? Or are you there because you feel like God's opened this door for you because he's called you into this kind of work? Because if he's opened this door and called you in this kind of work, the money shouldn't matter. Now, it should be enough to pay your bills. But the money should be of a secondary pursuit to you. What is a primary pursuit is, is this what God has for me? Because that is going to find fulfillment in my heart when the money's gone. And the money can come and go. It'll go up and down. But the fulfillment in my heart of doing what I feel like God's placed me here and called me to do will outlive all of that. Great sound advice I received from from my eighth grade educated dad who said, who told me years ago as a teenager, son, don't let you, life's too short to let your feet hit the floor, dreading what you're doing all your life. Find something you love to do and go pursue that. Find a way to get paid for it. If if nobody's created it yet, (laughs) but go pursue that, go pursue what you love to do. He loved the grocery business. You can have every grocery store on from here to wherever. As far as I'm concerned, I, you know, I have no desire to be in the grocery business. I, I saw it from the inside out as a kid, stocking shelves and cutting produce and, you know, trimming things up and carrying boxes and all those kind of things. It's a lot of work, first of all. But I had no passion for the grocery business, but he loved it. From the time he was 14 years of, old, of age, he knew that's exactly what he wanted to do with his life, what God had called him, what he had placed him here to do. And he fed on it, and he loved it, uh, most all of his adult existence. And so that's the kind of thing that needs to be sown into our kids. Are you doing what you're doing simply because, simply because there's a good paycheck at the end of it? Or are you doing it simply because this is what God's opened up? And he's gifted you uniquely to be able to pursue that thing. Go and pursue it. That's the kind of provision I'm talking about. First of all, is that, that person who values work. Secondly, financially, is it, is it a person that honors God? Are we, with our finances and with our vocations and with what we're doing for energy, for time, for, tra- for talent, for treasure, are those kind of investments honoring God? We are, as men, to place that kind of climate financially in our home. Are what we're doing with money honoring God? Regardless of... of uh, of the 10% that goes to the kingdom is the other 90%. That's what I'm talking about. Is the other 90% that we're doing with our resources, is that honoring God or is it pleasing us? What's it doing? Is it a means to an end? Thirdly, as provider, we need to live within our means. We need to create a climate in our family, in our culture, in our homes that says we're going to live within our means. In essence, we're not going to spend more than we make. We make $10 a week, we spend $9, we are a financial success, Rather than somebody makes 10000 and spends $12,000, they are a financial failure. The, the amount is totally immaterial. That's another thing my dad helped me see at an early age. If you spend less than you make, you're a financial success regardless of how much you make or how little you make. That, that idea of living with our means goes totally across the grain of our culture. Now, if there's one thing good, and maybe there's some, some other things good that I haven't seen, but if there's one thing good that's come out of the financial collapse in 08 and how we've how we're still in the repercussions of some of that even now. If there's one thing that our culture has learned or is learning, it is that debt stinks. In fact, banks have clamped down on debt. They clamped down on loans. Uh, try, and, try and get a small loan now or, or buy, borrow money for a house now. You've got to prove you don't need it before you can get it. Banks are really tied on money, but one thing that's, that's done, I think, it's caused us to look at debt differently as a culture. It caused us not to look at it so lightly and take it so lightly uh, because We could be upside down with somebody who can take our home, take our house, take most things away from us. And so this whole idea of living within your means starts at home. A banker shouldn't have to tell us you can't afford that. A dad should tell us you can't afford that. Whether that's good news to us or not, that's where that should start. Fourthly, though, as provider, not only should they teach the value of work and and honor God and live within our means, but it should be a person who prepares for the future. And what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about... Necessarily laying up, laying up this huge nest egg to, for your kids to fight over after you're gone, or for, but there is this idea that's biblical of our sowing seed ahead of us, sowing seed that will go beyond us. And so, I would, in a practical sense, <clears throat> excuse me, any father that has a mortgage and has kids, any father that has a mortgage and has kids should have life insurance uh, to take care of that indebtedness, whatever. Should something happen to you? You shouldn't leave your family in that kind of bind. So, I mean, that's just one example of what I'm talking about. But laying ahead of saving as, as opposed to borrowing is a foreign concept in our culture. That needs to start at home as well. That not only living within our means of can we afford it, but should we have it? Should I save for it, or is that beyond my means of being able to afford? So this idea of our being financially responsible, as I said, Starts at home in our provision for our family. Secondly, though, the man should protect his family. Turn a few pages over to your right to First Peter uh, chapter three. And let's look at verse seven. First Peter three seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In essence, you are protector. He's, as we looked at last week, this weaker vessel of an individual as a wife is not talking so much about her physical attributes, although it may, that that may be true, but it's talking more about the fact that she is more vulnerable than you. And because she is more vulnerable than you, you should see your role uh, with her as protector. Now, this is, primarily physically, and that's the easy part for most of us to grab a hold of as men. If somebody were entering our house to, you know, late at night with a gun or a knife or whatever to, to hurt our family, most of us would quickly either grab a gun, grab a ball back, grab something to defend our, our family and defend our, our turf, would we not? The physical side is fairly easy for us to see, yet it goes beyond that, man. This idea of protecting our family goes beyond the physical. It goes to, to putting a wall of protection around them that is both Mental and attitudinal, on the one hand, and emotional on the other. If we're not physically, mentally, attitudinally, and emotionally protecting our family, then we're, we're dropping the ball that God has for us. Now, how do we do that? Well, it's easy for us, to, as I say, to look at the physical, but it's, it's harder for us to see those those mental and, and emotional guards that would attack our family. The, the most practical way to do that is, we're going to look at this a little more later, is eating together. And... Having meals together as a family generates conversation. When conversation is generated, you can see what's happening in the culture of your children's lives. You can see what's happening in the culture of your wife's life. You can see that, that there, are, there, are, there are values perhaps that are being rubbed against and tested in their life and in their world where you can start to see well somebody's having greater influence on them than I am now. And so I need to step and interject to protect and build some boundaries around here are the things we value as a family and here's why we value them. Because they're in God's Word. Now, if, you're, you know, if Johnny and Susie and Bobby and Mary are heading off to do this, that's great. Bob, Johnny and Susie and Bobby and Mary's parents may feel like that's a value to them. Here's what we value here, and here's why we value it. And, pr- and protecting those mental and emotional, putting those guardrails up to where the things that enter your home and enter, enter relationships that your family are a part of, that's your responsibility to see. If you're disengaged and you don't have conversation enough to pick up on those things, get engaged. Plug back into conversation. Now, with young kids, that's really easy. As they get to be teenagers, you're stupid. Most parents are pretty stupid when their kids are teenagers. And those, those conversations are harder to have. And you have to, you have to be more persistent. You have to interject. You have to pursue a little more than you would when, the, when kids were younger. But that's still uh, the things that's our responsibility as men to do. Thirdly, the man should not only provide for his family and protect his family, but he should nurture his family. Isn't that the woman's job to nurture? Well, look, let's see what he says here in First Timothy. Back, turn, turn back to First uh, Timothy chapter 3. And look, at, look uh, with me, if you will, at verse 5. If anyone does not ho- know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He's speaking there primarily to elder leadership, but in essence he's saying the man should know how to manage his own family. Each man, each leader, home leader, leader-lover, that man should know how to manage his family, and he's talking here, he's speaking here in a spiritual sense. If you're not the spiritual initiator, the spiritual leader, the spiritual provider in your home, that you're, we're dropping the ball on our roll. Here he's saying, we are to set the pace and be a husband and father that initiates those kinds of things in our home. Now, how do we do that? Two practical ways. One is to practice, and I'll just talk about but practice the element of prayer in your home, which usually happens in most Christian homes, or most homes that are in church, when crisis comes. Um, and, and it's great to play, pray when crisis comes. It's a great lesson to teach your kids. When we find ourselves in a hard place, what do we do? We take it to God. When crisis tends to occur, whether it's physical, or whether it's financial, whether it's relational, we, we go to God. we take it to God when we're in, in the midst of crisis. And that's a great lesson, but it shouldn't stop with crisis. We should be a family who honors and reveres and holds high this value of prayer, this value that he is in charge of our family. He is setting the pace for our family. He is the course we're following. And so if we're, as leaders, as men in our family, initiating those kinds of things, saying, okay, let's just pray about that, then we're going to see the values of our family, of our kids, and even of our wives change in that regard. Secondly, though, as a practice, the word should be the standard for decisions in your home. If it's how my mom, that's how my mom and dad did it, they may have done it well. But if they didn't do it according to Scripture, we need to find a better way. The Word should be the standard in our home, not because I said so, not because that's what mom and daddy did, but here's what God's Word says to do. Here's how we're supposed to process decisions. Here are the value systems that help us make that decision about should I take that job? Should we move into this neighborhood? Should our kids go to this school? Should we, those kinds of values based decisions have to center around God's word if we're going to find out what God has for us. Otherwise, we're hoeing our own row, so to speak, and asking God to bless our mess. Oftentimes our intentions are good, but we get at the end of the row that we've hoed, and we think, this isn't working out. What happened? My intentions were good. They were pure. I thought I was doing the best for my family. Well, I may have been intended to do the best for my family because that's what I've seen. That's what I know. That's my default system. That's what I've gone back to. But if I'm not going back to God's word as a default it's it's not the standard. And if those in our home do not know that it's the standard, guess what? They're going to ha- replicate that all over again. They're going to be raising kids with, with basically making it up on the fly as far as what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. If there's a standard, it's multigenerational. If it was good enough for my parents and it honored God and it's good enough for me and it honors God, it'll be good enough for my children to honor God, good enough for my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and to honor God. Why? Because the standard is consistent over and over and over again. Now, will culture change? Will some of, the, some of the decisions that have to be made uh, be made in, in more oblique ways? Sure. <laughs> because as our culture expands, the ways that we look at how to plug the Scripture into those things becomes gr- a greater challenge. But it's still true. And it's still the authority. And it's still correct. And it's still trustworthy. And it's still worth following. It's your job and my job as men to make sure our families know that. And to make sure that we don't just tell them that. Well, have, you, have you searched God's word about that? Have you prayed about that decision? If we're not modeling that, Guess what? They're not going to either. So we need to model that in our homes. This 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 idea of our being the nurturer spiritually, of taking that role and putting that on our backs and modeling that in our homes for our kids, to where we initiate those kinds of things. We don't just tell our wife, "Hey, won't you tell them to pray?" about it? no, we initiate those things on our own. Now, providing the 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 structure and the boundaries, and that's really the two things that I want to point out that put your family in a situation where you revere your role with them above everything else earthly. And putting the structure in place, as as we're talking about here, about your, your being the provider, the protector, the nurturer of your family, putting these structures in place and creating boundaries to guard those structures is your job and my job as men. Putting these structures in place to say, okay, here's what 1 Timothy 5, 8, 1 Peter 3, 7, and 1 Timothy 3, 5 tell me I'm supposed to do as a man. I need to get with that program because that's God's. I need to get with that program. And here's the structure. These three verses, give me the structure for these things. And I need to put some guardrails around these things to make sure the enemy doesn't attack them, because he will attack them. And if he starts to break them down and break the foundational things around, they start to crumble. Things start to happen in our home that we never planned for. Why? Because we didn't create boundaries around them. We thought the structure was important, but we didn't guard it enough when, when a friend, when a peer, when a, even, maybe even a family member, came in to attack that structure that we thought was biblically sound and true, when that structure is under attack and it will be under attack especially in our culture. We didn't create the boundaries in place to keep that guarded. It's our role. Just as we would pick up a a gun or a ball bat or something to defend our family physically, we should be that tenacious about defending them spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It's our job. Ladies, we looked at three weeks ago, your role as one who follows Ephesians 5 and, and Genesis 2, one who follows and fulfills. This role of follower and fulfiller just to Parallel man's role of leader-lover um, is what the Scripture points out to you. Let's look at these three things um, that I want us to see here. First of all, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at some Scripture that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, but, but especially in light of um, women's specific role here and what they're, what they're to look like. Women should provide for their family. Gee, that's what the men were supposed to do, wasn't it? Yes, but in different ways. Women should provide for their family. Look at Genesis 2.18. The Lord Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a, and here's the key word here, helper suitable for him. I will make a helper that's suitable, that fits him. I will make something that that is apart from his nature, that that is a nature unique in itself to where the gaps that are in this man can be filled with the woman. That's the helper suitable for him. This idea of helper is... A, a, a word with physical connotations, not spiritual. A word with physical connotations that the man and woman should fit together emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, and that's her role as helper. It really that, that word literally in the, in the original Hebrew means corresponding part. That's what that, that word literally means. That it fits perfectly within the, the role for the man. Now ladies, how do, how do we provide for our family? Well a wife should, first of all, let me, before I get into specifics, that means prioritizing time for your Lord, for your family, and for yourself. And you need to prioritize time for your Lord, for your family, and for yourself. If you're expecting it to happen on its own, too many distractions in our culture for that to happen on its own. Too many really good distractions in our culture for that to happen on its own. So that has to be plan- a planned thing. How do I do that? Let me give you three, three helpful hints to do that. One is... This idea of discipline. I'm going to have to be disciplined in, in the way I think and in the way my day goes if I'm going to provide for and plan for my family. Um, oftentimes, women in our culture find themselves in the twos. Um, they have two jobs, two ki- too many kids, too many expectations. They're too stretched and, uh, and too tired to do much of anything else. And if, you're in, if, you, if you find yourself, I'm, I'm a woman of the, of the twos, um, there, there has to be put in place in your life and in your world some discipline because that's, re- that's the reality of the world we live in. I'm, I'm too expected to be here. I'm too stretched here. I'm too tired here. That, and I don't know anybody that can undertake all of that. I don't know anybody that can be, you know, Pat Summit, on the other hand, tough gal and, and whoever the most meek, demure person that comes to your mind is, and everybody in between. No woman can be that. You know why? You weren't designed to. You were designed to fit within the opposite things that, that the man is good at, that the husband is good at. Um, and that takes discipline. The second thing, though, is devotion. Uh, devotion to primarily, as we looked at in Ephesians, support him, affirm him, and empower him. If you're supporting, affirming, and empowering your husband, I'm going to tell you, you won't have a problem finding him as a leader. You won't have a problem, problem stepping, or him stepping into that role as leader. As we looked at last week, if you'll create a vacuum... And you'll affirm support and create the opportunity for him to lead. Most times, a man will, unless he's too intimidated not to. Um, How do I do that? How how, how do I find myself devoted to these things in his world and really for the benefit of my children as well? Uh, I would encourage you just in a a practical sense to, to find some time for prayer alone. Not with your husband, not with your kids, not around the dinner table, alone. And that may be driving to work. Now, don't close your eyes if you're praying driving to work. But but your drive to work or so, however, wherever the best place for that occurred to you, talk to the Lord daily. Find some discipline. Find, find the discipline to do that on a daily basis. If you'll do that on a daily basis, what you're going to find is God's going to start to feed you in that time of prayer. It's going to be more about your feeding uh, or his feeding you than you're talking to him. Now, initially, that's, pro- that's probably what it's going to come off like as you're talking to him because you know you need to. But the more consistent you are with that, the more you find he feeds you in those times. Not only pray, but make a plan. Um, there, there is a um, in 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 planning for. As, as I looked at earlier, we talked about earlier. In planning for to, to prioritize time with your husband, time with your family, time for yourself, that doesn't happen accidentally either. That needs to be a, that needs to be a, a a great priority for you. I will encourage you, regardless of what it is that feeds you and allows you a chance to just kind of do that. Whatever it is that that does that for you, do that. Uh, I I discovered early, well, not that early. I discovered probably 10, 12 years into our marriage. First of all, I discovered that with two daughters, we needed another bathroom. We had a a two-bedroom, one-bath house, and we desperately needed another bathroom. And the older the girls got, the, the more we needed a bathroom. So I added on a bathroom at the house where we were living, and, and um, it was quite a bit bigger than our original bathroom. But in there, I put a, a jacuzzi tub in the, in the corner of that bathroom, simply because I thought they were cool and when we had room for it. And so I put a jacuzzi. I, I'm, I'm not into taking a bath in the bathtub, as most guys aren't. Get in the shower, get out as quick as you can, move on to the next thing. But I put a, I put a corner tub in there, and I discovered I had a much better wife after i put it in that corner tub you know why cuz she loved taking a bath every night still does when i built our new house you know what i put in it a great big jacuzzi tub cuz i knew she loved doing that every night she takes a bath you know what she's a different woman after her bath it gives her a chance to go <sighs> at the end of her day and she desperately needs that and i've recognized that she needs that and if this house burns down, I'll build another house, and I'll put a, I'll put a nice tub in that of that because I've seen what that does to her spirit. Consequently, our home and our relationship. So whatever whatever that is for you, plan for that to happen. It's not going to happen accidentally. Plan for that to happen and make that a priority for you, um, and protect your time. There, there, Every everything in the world grapples for your time. You feel like a taxi driver, chef. Uh, doctor, counselor, everything grapples for your time and many of those things are good but you've got to protect time to do those kinds of things to pray on your own, to have a bath or whatever it is that, that feeds you physically and emotionally to do those kinds of things on your own plan for those kinds of things to happen your husband will be a better man for it husbands, your wife will be a better lady for it if, you, if she has got the time to do that now, not only discipline and devotion but this third thing is really practical and really ingenious it's called dinner. Um, if you will have dinner together as a family, that's becoming more and more and more rare. You know why? Because we're doing all kinds of good things of kids are you know going over here and running and doing this and playing ball over there and cheering and tumbling. and you know, All kinds of good things that take away from family spending time together. And so there's, there needs to be that sense of we need to check each other out and plug into each other's lives. And we're checking each other out and plugging, plugging into each other's lives. We'll learn that there's a problem at school. There's a problem at work. There's a problem right here around the table, maybe for us. We'll learn those kinds of things if we're eating together and we're sharing life together. If we don't eat together and share life together, those kinds of things never happen. You know why? Because nobody wants to talk about it. If we're sitting around the table and, and, well, even at our house, as we were today, and I bring up something political or something, somebody brings up something spiritual, we, we know probably, or, or especially if we talk about education at our house, we know that there's probably going to be some friction sooner or later in a conversation. I think friction's a great thing in conversation. And 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 some in our family like that, some don't. But you'll learn you'll learn those kinds of things around the table. You'll learn, boy, this is she's passionate about this, or she's or he's, he's really really feels strongly about this. You'll learn those kind of things around dinner, around the conversation. And and ladies, it's your job to make that happen. Men aren't going to make dinner happen. You know why? Because they should be busy doing these other three things we looked at earlier. But it's your role, as and we're going to look at this in just a minute, as, a, as the relational hub of your home. And you are that, whether you realize it or not. It's your role as the relational hub to see that those things are intact and to create those kind of opportunities for your family. Now, not only should you provide, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 31. The second thing here is that we should protect our family. Gee, this sounds just awful lot like the God thing. Seeing a pattern unfold here? Proverbs chapter 31. And let's look at verses 10 through 12 here. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Women, you are to to emotionally protect your family. That's exactly what that, that, the text of that scripture is talking about. This noble character, a wife of noble character who can find, a wife of emotional stability who can find. That's what that means. And your emotional stability ought to, ought to trickle out from you to others in your house. You are emotionally more in tune than a man will ever be. Consequently, you should be aware of those things emotionally that's going on in your relationship with him and in your relationship with your kids that you need to make him aware of that he'll never pick up on. Uh, Pick up on on his own. You're the emotional protector in your family and in your home. Um, Husbands don't learn emotional transparency from their dads. You know where they learn it? From their wives. You know what? I think that's designed that way. I think that's that that perfect helper, suitable, the the perfect fit, the conforming fit. I think that's what Genesis 2.18 is talking about. He's supposed to find those kinds of things from his wife because she is the emotional hub of that home. She, is the emotional, she, she has her emotional sensors up most all the time when things are going on around her. Um, children don't learn that from their dads either. They learn that from their moms, as well they should, because their moms are that, are, are that emotional, emotional director in that home. Um, you're the rudder. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, that home's going to go emotionally where you go. It's emo- if you're emotionally down, the rest of that home's going to be emotionally down. If you're emotionally up, the rest of that home going to be emo- emotionally up. You are the rudder that steers emotionally what happens in that home. Now, that that will ebb and flow. You know, as, as your state of mind and as life is working or life isn't working, that will ebb and flow. Don't expect to be up here all the time. Nobody's ever there all the time. But you shouldn't expect to be down here all the time either. Nobody's ever there all the time. But you're the emotional hub of that home. Realize that responsibility that God's given you, and you are to protect your home Emotionally, and C, is, is everybody cared for? Is everybody, are, are we all emotionally connected with each other uh, here at home? Now, that only that, that's not just with your kids, but um, um, you know, with your husband as well. All comfort in the home usually starts with you. Um, all concern in the home. am i going to find somebody to, 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 to be a, a listening ear, that usually starts with you. Your husband will come to you for those things, as he should. Your children will come to you for those things, as they should. You're to guard the emotional makeup and, and, and uh, uh, structure of your home. Thirdly, she should nurture her family. Same, same chapter, drop, drop down in Proverbs 31, and let's look at verses 27 and 28. She watches over the affairs of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also and praises her. She watches over the affairs of her household. Watches over the affairs of her household. She is the relational guard of her household. She guards the relationships in her household. Women are far more relational than most men. Um, It has been that way since the beginning of time. In fact, one of the reasons I think the serpent goes to the woman is for that very reason in the garden. Uh, He probably knew he would get a standoffish, whether it was out of fear or whether it was out of spine. He knew he'd get a standoffish relationship for the man. He finds a more willing listener, a more willing participant in the, in the lady. She's more relationally connected to what's going on. I want to know. That's why I'm looking at the tree with desire already because I want to know. We looked at that last week. And I think that's part of the reason he goes to her. And so moms are the go-to persons in home in homes when it comes to relationships. Why? Because God designed that role for you. Uh, don't see that as something that's... that's uh, your husband's job, or something that's that you're not suited for, you are suited for it. You may feel ill-equipped sometimes to, to to deal with some of the relational relational things that are happening with your husband or with your kids, but that's the role God's designed for you to have, and you are to um, to to watch over the affairs of your household. Proverbs thirty-one says, and, I, and he's he's talking there in that in that uh, about in a, in a relational sense. Um, they understand that, that women understand that that meal time, that bedtime, that, that that family time, that vacations, things like that, bond traditions, they bond the family together. That's why, women sh- that's why women are usually the catalyst to those kinds of things. To putting the same thing up in the same place every Christmas, to singing the same songs around the Thanksgiving table, or, or to having the same, to having this, preparing the this same dish every Thanksgiving, or this same dish when so and so has a birth. You know why that's important? Because it bonds people together. That's, that kind of thing not only has to do with nutrition, it's got to do with relationships. And our kids and our, and our husbands and, and our, even our extended family, they are more relationally connected to us because we, th- we say those things are important. And it's not, just, it's not just, you know, the conversations you have, as I said a moment ago at bedtime, uh, around, around the dinner table, those things build relationships. They're not, they're not designed just to fill space, to fill the void. They're designed to connect your family at a deeper level to where your root system is stronger with each other. And you know that whatever storm comes and adversity comes, whether it's individ- to an individual or to the family as a whole, we can weather this because we've got each other's backs here, and we know that. We know we're going to stand together. Um, I would encourage you ladies to see the value in that role and and to make it a, a priority. Um, as, as we looked at, we're, if it looked like there were some synonymous things there in providing, protecting, and nurturing, there is. We're all we're both called to that, just different, different contexts, as you see. That the Scripture paints there for us, both men and women are, are called to these things, first of all, against the odds. You're called to do these things biblically against the odds. What do I mean by that? Well, 53% of, of marriages outside the church fail and end up in divorce. 52% inside the church fail. It used to be just 50% as, as, as little as three years ago. Now it's, it's um, jumped up 2% inside, among believers. Well, what does that say? It says the odds are against us. The odds are against our relationship making it, of our family being able to weather these kinds of storms, these, this kind of crisis. Um, we are to, to provide, protect, and nurture against the odds as well, uh, or against the redefinition of the attack on traditional families, and that's happening in our culture. Um, that's being more, becoming more and more pervasive. In fact, there were four states just last week, um, that adopted same-sex marriage and approved in their state same-sex marriage. Family is being redefined in our culture. Whether we like it, whether we agree with it or don't, it's being redefined in our culture. That is an attack on the very things that this, this book says that we're supposed to be and believe and do. And then finally, we're, we're doing these things not only against the odds and against the redefinition of family, but against the enemy. I mean, the Scripture describes him as this roaring lion. And he's seeking to devour the things that are most precious to you. He's seeking to devour marriages. He's seeking to devour relationships between parents and especially teenagers. He's seeking to devour those things and break the trust so that it's never trustworthy again. And that can never be built back again. And that's his goal. And if he's got us there, he wins. Well, these are the tools to put in place, men and women, to make sure that doesn't happen. And to look at the enemy and say, no, not in this home. Not in my family. Not here. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be back <laughs> later with another angle and another approach. But it's our job to defend against those kinds of things. It's, and I, What I want to submit to you tonight basically as we close is those these are the kinds of things. I don't know what... I wish I could sometimes crawl inside people's minds and even your minds here to try and see what would really push a button for you. What's worth fighting for? What, what do you think is really worth fighting for? Worth defending to the end. Are there two things? Are there one, are there three or four? How many are, are there in your life that are worth fighting for to the end? What I would submit to you is your home's worth fighting for, and it's under attack. The enemy's coming after it. Our culture's coming after it. It's worth the fight that it takes to. And, and there, are, there are all of us know um, people probably in our own family or extended family, where the enemy's won in some of those family relationships. Maybe where there's a fight going on right now for families, where there's a fight, are they going to make it? Are they going to stay together? Are they going to? And I would encourage you, man, encourage wherever you can, get behind those folks and say, man, it's worth fighting for. Stay in there and fight, but fight with the tools that you need to fight with. Don't fight against the the enemy of our culture with our culture's weapons. Fight with the kingdom's weapons against a, a war that the culture places. Well, how do we do all this? I mean, how do we accomplish all this? It look, it's great. and it's, it, we, We've seen this practical thing that men and women are supposed to do in a practical sense. We've gone beyond theory here to put some real meat and, and potatoes kinds of things in place. How do we do this? Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want, I want to give you two things here um, to leave with that I hope will encourage you and, and to, to, to let you know that, you know, don't panic. Uh, God's got this. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's look at verses 14 through 19. For this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How do we do that? We do that through the strength God provides. How do I wage war against the attack of our culture, the attack of the enemy, maybe, maybe the attack of my own friends and some of my own family? How do I wage that kind of war? In the strength that God provides. That's how I wage that war. Secondly, turn to Titus chapter 2. These These verses won't be on the screen. I didn't wasn't an oversight. I just didn't think to put them up, put them up there. But Titus chapter 2. And, and there, there, are, there are several in our church in this, in this very place. And why, this is why I think this is very pertinent scripture. Look at verses 3 through 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Watch this. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Some of you ladies are in our congregation find yourself in that position. We... We, we navigate these these family problems and these relationships and marriages and parenting and all. We navigate these kind of issues and guard and fight against the enemy not only in the strength God provides, but in the wisdom and encouragement from people like you, in the wisdom and encouragement from somebody who's ahead of us on the path. You know, if I've got questions about, uh, and I have had from time to time, if I've got questions about um, life and spiritual matters and, and familial matters and and, and whatever. Uh, now that my dad has gone on to be with the Lord, I'll call Jerry sometime. Doc, what do you think about this? Let me bounce something off of you. Give me, give me your feedback on You need to seek the counsel of somebody ahead of you on the path. You know why? Because they've walked there before, likely, probably several times. David faced adversity, too. You think you're the only ones faced adversity. They faced it, too. It may not be exactly like yours. It may be deeper than yours, but they faced it, too. And they have wisdom and encouragement for you. That's what Titus 2, uh, 3 says, is give that wisdom and encouragement to people. You've walked that road. Tell them they can make it. How can we make it as, as young families? Well, we make it in the strength God provides and we make it in the wisdom of folks that God's placed around us to give us counsel, to give us encouragement, to say, stay here, you can make it, stay on this course. It's going to pay off. doesn't look like that today, but it will. Stay here. Um, we need that encouragement from each other. Without it, we don't do very well. In fact, even with it, sometimes we, don't, we feel like we don't do very well. So but with the strength he promises there in Ephesians 3 and with the encouragement of those ahead of us we can make this road and I want to encourage you there is no more worthy fight than the fight for your family there is no more worthy fight than the fight for your family I hope I hope men and women I hope you see that as a um, I've had conversations with other pastors over the years about church planting and I've told them you know I've had questions from other pastors who were going into church planting What's, what's some of the most important traits I need to have? And I tell them, the very first thing, you need to have a spine of concrete. You need to pour concrete down your spine because the enemy's going to attack this very He's going to make it think, well, you can't do this, shouldn't do this, the community's not behind it. you're not, He's going to tell you 15,000 reasons why this is not going to work. And you're going to see all 15,000 of them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The enemy's going to attack. You need to have a, con- a concrete a spine. I would say that, too, to husbands and dads. I would say that, too, to wives and moms. The enemy's coming after us. He's using all kinds of different creative ways to do it, but he's coming after us to break down what you and I know as family. We need to fight for it. It's a worthy fight. I hope you'll, I hope you'll see the importance of that tonight that, that this scripture is painted for us. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.